Yep. Okay. There we are. Sorry, Keith. Uh, thought I was whatever. Good morning. Welcome to Hope. I'm Pastor Tom. It's good to have you with us as we worship God together here today. Uh, if you are visiting with us or if you have any prayer requests, we encourage you to fill out this little piece of paper in your bulletin and we will follow up with you accordingly. Um, also, if you would like prayer for something going on in your life, uh, find one of our deacons or elders after the service, and they will be happy to pray with you for anything you may have going on um, or any other member of our prayer team. Uh, so encourage you to do that. Also, if you would like a more concentrated time of prayer, we have that available every Sunday morning at 945 prior to the service. Our worship team concludes their rehearsal, and then they gather with whoever is here uh, to pray through one of the psalms together and pray for one another and the needs of God's people, and you are invited to come and be a part of that. So that is available as well. Let's see. We always have our website out there in the ether world. Uh, you can log on there and click through and find your uh, member our online portal, find each other's information, upload and, and update your information, um, etc. If you're not getting text message reminders from Hope Church and you want them, then put your cell phone number in your profile on, on our online portal and you will get those reminders as well. That's where most of our small group reminders come through. Uh, so encourage you to make sure that information is up to date. Um, let's see. We are having, so we're in the middle of a series that's studying the Jewish festivals in the Old Testament. And we're going to conclude that series on a Thursday night with a Seder dinner. This is the traditional Jewish Passover dinner, but with a mind or an eye toward the fulfillment of Christ of all of these Old Testament festivals and rituals. And so we're going to look at um, the Last Supper as it would have occurred in real time and, and the experience that the apostles would have had around that table, um, the full meal that they would have been enjoying when uh, Jesus said, this is my body which is broken for you, etc. Um, and it will give a whole new depth and of understanding to that experience and we encourage you all to sign up we, we've sent out uh, links that you can click on we'll do that again um, but uh, please avail yourselves of that evening uh, make plans to be here and let us know we need to get a head count for how much lamb we purchase etc um, so next Sunday is the cutoff we will need your your uh, commitment, sign up by next Sunday. Um, we have 80 slots available, so there's plenty of room to invite friends or you know, family or anybody that you want to come with you, but we do need you to sign up, and that sign up will include ways that you can volunteer to help out, either setting up or cleaning up or bringing food or whatever. Uh, there's a lot of different ways on there that you can be a part of this, um, but it will be, it's, it's a really fascinating combination of a worship service and a meal and and a sort of a a telling of the biblical story of the exodus and it's just it's really cool and so i encourage you to be here it's kid friendly 
Um, it's intended, the Jewish meal is, it assumes that there will be children at the table, so we encourage you to bring your little ones, and uh, we'll have some activities for them at their place uh, while we eat, etc., and they can be part of the whole thing. Um, but uh, we need you to sign up so we know how many heads we're feeding. And then, as usual, leading up to Easter, we need you to, to fill and stuff and bring some Easter eggs, because that's not really important, is it, Piper? Easter eggs? You don't really care, right? You don't care? So it's okay if there's no Easter eggs here on Easter Sunday? What is wrong with you, child? Say, say a lot. Yeah. No, say, yeah. Because you know what's wrong with me? You know what's wrong with me, Piper? A lot. Yeah, it's okay. God loves us anyway, right? Good. All right. So, Easter eggs, bring some. Thank you. You can drop them off in one of the children's ministry classrooms. Uh, we need your help there. Um, we have our next men's night will not be until after Easter, um, so that's coming up. We had a women's gathering yesterday. There were a few ladies here for that. Um, and if you are interested in being in a small group with some other women and just relating to one another through scripture, um, talk to Pebby before you leave and she can tell you where those groups will be, when and where those groups will be meeting. So, all right, what am I forgetting? Anything? Anyone? John. Uh, yes, don't put any coins or other obvious choking hazards. Not that anyone would ever do that. Right. Who would do that? $50 bills, give those to me and I'll make sure they get into the right egg. What? April, April 16th, that's Hope Church's birthday. Did you know that? And, and we have a congregational meeting. Did I forget to announce that? Wow, look at that. Okay. Yes, April 16th, we are having our annual congregational meeting. Uh, we will elect officers at that meeting, and we will give a finance update, and any updates on anything else worth knowing about will be given at that meeting. But that will be immediately after church or 15 minutes after church on Sunday, April 16th. That's the Sunday after Easter, and it's Hope Church's birthday, which is awesome. So... All right, maybe we'll have cake or something. Hmm, all right, what else? Well, I don't want to talk to the kids. I just want to talk to the most important people here. So if you're in fifth grade or younger, we invite you down for our children's chat at this time. Good morning. Look at this. Pray for our teachers. Oh, and that's awesome because Mrs. Kathy loves snakes. But hey, that's biblical. It is. I'm not kidding. All right. So I got a question for you. How many of you love to take a bath? So that's okay. Most of you. How many of you hate taking a bath? Yeah. So you love it and hate it, Jack? 
Yeah, okay. Well, the snake says everything we need to know. All right. So why, why do we take a bath? We need to be clean. All right, I got that from several of you. Before you go to bed so you don't stink up your sheets. Yeah. Okay. So, but wait. You take a bath so you can get clean, but then like the next day, you, you get dirty again, and then you get dirtier the next day, and then you, eventually you have to take a bath again, right? So it doesn't work. That's what I'm trying to say. Does it? Well, it works, but it wears off. It works, but it wears off. Okay, that makes sense. Um, and so it's something that's pretty. There's, that's something you have to do again and again and again and again, right? Okay. So what if I told you that there was a bath that would make you so clean you would never have to take a bath again. You don't want to go in that? Never. Never? Esther, God. Good, you're on the right track, right? So Jesus, Jesus does, tells us to do both, all right? He tells us to come to him to be forgiven, to be cleansed, of all of our sin, for how long? Forever. And then when we do things that are bad, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to go back to Jesus, tell him we're sorry. That's called repentance. All right, ask for his forgiveness. He always gives you forgiveness. Like that's a guarantee. So there you go. I think, that's, I think that's about it. That's all I got. Like Jesus, Jesus makes you clean forever. And then any time you do something that gets you dirty spiritually, you go to him, you tell him you're sorry, he tells you I love you, I forgive you, and you're clean again, just like you would take a bath again and again and again, right? But at the same time, his love lasts how long? Forever. I think you get it. All right. And because Jesus forgave you, that means you should be able to forgive others, right? Good. All right. I think you get it. Can I pray for you guys? Yeah, sure. Dear God, thank you for these precious children. Thank you for the gift that they are to our church, our families, our lives. We pray your blessing over them as they study more of your word and hope for kids this morning. Fill them with your Holy Spirit and lead them into a deeper understanding of how much you love them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Y'all have a great time and hope for kids. And I totally forgot to read them the verse that that was based on. I don't think they care. They'll get it in there. They'll get it in there. My wife is teaching today, so...
They will come out learnt. All right. Will you join me in prayer as we prepare our hearts for God's word this morning? God, our loving Father, we thank you for this time to come before you to uh, offer our hearts before your cross open to, to learn, to grow, to become the men and women of God that you created us to be more and more as we engage you through your word. We pray that as we open your word, you would open our hearts and speak to us. And Lord, that we would be able to lay at the foot of your cross the burdens of our hearts, that we might be more free to encounter you here through your word today. We give you the relationships in our lives that are strained, and we pray for peace and reconciliation where it is needed. We give you our sins and failures and disappointments, and we thank you for the forgiveness, mercy, and grace that are ours in Jesus Christ. And we lift to you, Lord, those whom we know and love who are sick or recovering from medical procedures or facing uncertain diagnoses, and we pray your healing mercies over them today. We lift before you our country, our leaders at every level of government elected and appointed, and we pray for wisdom and discernment in the decisions that are before them. We lift up our men and women in uniform who serve to protect and defend our freedoms as Americans. We pray that you would watch over and protect them. We pray especially for those who are in harm's way. We ask that you would bring them home safely. And Lord, for those who have served and returned home changed as a result of their service, we pray that you would use us, your people, to minister your healing and grace and gratitude to them, that they would be healed mind, body, and soul, and restored into right relationship with you, their families, and their communities. And Lord, we lift up your church here at Hope and around the world this morning as we uh, speak out your word. We pray that it would go out through our mouths and not return to you empty. And we, leave, we lift to you the churches that we are connected to through our denomination and through our missions giving. Um, we just pray your blessing over those works of your spirit in Guatemala, in Laredo, in Camajuani, Cuba, in Havana, Cuba, in Beirut, Lebanon, and elsewhere in the Middle East, as well as the young church plants that are taking place in Texas, in New Braunfels, in Austin, and in Dallas. And we just pray your blessing over those works of your spirit. Be with us now as we open your word. Speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So, we are in a series of messages um, looking at the festivals of the Old Testament. Uh, we started with the festival of Purim, which is found in the book of Esther, uh, because that was the Sunday of the Jewish festival of Purim. That was the actual day on the calendar that that, that, uh, celeb- that festival is celebrated. All of the rest of the festivals in the Old Testament um, are found in the book of Leviticus. And they are enumerated in Leviticus chapter 20. Hold on, we'll get there. Give me the slide. Three. 23, yes. It's like uh, you've seen the Mel Brooks history of the world. And Moses comes down with three tablets, and he's like, I bring you these fifth, and then one of them falls and breaks, and he looks around, and he goes, these ten, these ten commandments. It's great, good stuff. 
So we're in Leviticus chapter 23, where all of these festivals are enumerated. And there's something interesting about uh, the, the way that God lines these out. The first thing he does is he sets up a weekly rhythm for God's people that follows the rhythm of six days of creation and one day of rest. And then he says, you are to continue this rhythm throughout uh, your culture, your life, your, your time as a people on this earth. And he gives them this weekly rhythm, this seven-day rhythm. And they work for six, they rest for one. And then, out of that rhythm of sevens, he lays out seven more distinct festivals of the year. So every seven days, and then seven times during the year, and then in the seventh month, three of these festivals take place. So there's a substantial proportion of the festivals that occur in the seventh month of the Jewish lunar calendar. So that could land anywhere from early September to late October, depending on how they adjust to fit their lunar calendar with the solar calendar that we use. Don't I just recommend you never go down the vortex of the Jewish lunar calendar. It is insanity for us to try to understand because we're so locked in on our Gregorian calendar. Anyway, I've been there. I live to tell about it. Just that should be enough for you, I promise. But uh, some of you won't trust me on that. You'll have to do it yourselves. Um, so in Leviticus chapter 23, we have this delineation of festivals. The chart is next. We showed this last week. Um, so you have the establishment of the rhythm of seven day, every seventh day, and then one, two, three, four, five, six, seven festivals in the year, in addition to those every seven days of rest. Um, and so this creates the, the kind of the, the culture of the Jewish people where they are invited to um, have what I call dates with God. If you look at the Hebrew word for, for festival or gathering as it's used, it really means like an appointment with God. Um, that's what it is. These are special appointed days for you to come into your relationship with God and engage. And so today, we looked last week at the Feast of Trumpets and all that that means. It's a day of preparation for the day we're going to look at today, which is the Day of Atonement, so I just want you to notice for now, in the Jewish calendar, there, there are 12 lunar months, and then the seventh month, like just like on the seventh day, after the seventh month, there's this series of three festivals. There's the Festival of Trumpets on the first day of the seventh month, or the Sabbath month. Then on the tenth day of the Sabbath month, there's the Day of Atonement. And then on the, oh, I don't know, 15th day? Yes, thank you. Fifteenth day uh, of the seventh month, there is a day, a festival called the Festival of Booths that lasts for a week. We'll explain that next week. Um, but uh, there's, the, there's the rhythm. There's the pattern. There's what God has established to remind his people, hey, I want to spend time with you. And so today we're going to look at um, the festival of the Day of Atonement, and this is not a, a fun day, this is a somber day. This is a day of recognizing our need for forgiveness. And so 
it is part of what's laid out in Exodus chapter 23, but it is delineated in its fullness in Exodus chapter 16. And I'll just try to frame this for you. So go back to the book of Genesis, the Garden of Eden. You've heard of it, right? Garden of Eden. Right in the middle of the Garden of Eden is the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right in the middle. When Adam and Eve sin, which way do they go? Do you remember? They go east. They're sent out the eastern edge of the Garden of Eden. And when the tabernacle is built amongst the Jewish people who've left Egypt, God says, build me this place to sit. I need a place to sit among you. It is put in the middle of the camp of the people of Israel. And there are two things that are significant here. There's this, inside this this sort of cloth fence is an altar which is burning coals over a grate. It's a grill, literally. I'm not, I'm not being flippant. It's actually a grill. They're, they're cooking there. Um, but the altar of God. And then there's this other sort of cloth-walled tent called the tent of meeting. In the first, it's, it's, cut, it's a rectangle. It's cut into two squares. And you walk into the first room, and there's a lampstand, and there's a table with some bread called the bread of the presence, and then there's a curtain between that room and the room behind it. And behind that curtain would be the Ark of the Covenant, which has two cherubim sitting on top of it with their wings spread out, like, hey, you can't sit here. So it's a throne for God, but you, you as a human could not sit upon it, right? It's, it's covered by these wings, but it's considered God's throne room or God's throne, his His the seat of his presence on earth. And that cover of the ark is called the atonement lid. That's what it's called in in Hebrew. And so there is this space right in the middle of God's people. And the way you get into it is you go from the eastern side of it, you go into the west, and you would eventually get to the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant, inside the ark, anyone, anyone? Ten Commandments, a bowl of manna, Aaron's staff, all right? Good job. All right. These people are awesome. Um, I I couldn't give out gold stars later or maybe Air Force Blue. I don't know. Whatever you want. Um, Okay. So that sits in the middle, and the, the exit is to the east, or the entrance is from the east to the west. This is intentional. It's right in the middle of where God's people camp. Now, if you were to go to a Jewish synagogue and see them unroll the entire scroll of the Torah, do you know what would be right in the middle of the Torah scroll? Well, what are the first five books? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And you would, that scroll would open, and if you could go right to the middle of it, you would be in the second movement of the book of Leviticus. You'd be right in the middle, right in the heart of the Torah. This is where the Day of Atonement is laid out in all of its detail. For that reason, there's, a, there's intentional purpose behind this, 
that in the middle of the Torah is the Day of Atonement. In the seventh month of the year, in the Sabbath month, is the Day of Atonement. This is, this is all intentional. This is all part of God's design of how he put together his word, how he reveals it to us. And I'm really thankful that there are scholars out there who pay attention to this kind of stuff because I usually get to Leviticus and I go, uh, I don't understand any of this. Let's just keep, this is really bloody. Let's keep going. Um, and then you get to numbers and then I quit. Just, you know, that's how that works. Um, but here we are in Leviticus, in the, right in the middle of the Torah, Leviticus chapter 16, and I actually encourage you to read the whole thing. You may have to go back and read chapter 10 just to have the background as to how chapter 16 begins, Um, and I won't go into that right now. But chapter 16 lays out the Day of Atonement, and I'm just going to read through some excerpts from chapter 16, and I think you'll get a feel for what's going on, and then we'll talk about it, okay? But I'm going to begin in verse 4 and read a couple verses, and then skip to verse 8, and read verse 10. You've got all the references right there behind me, or in front of you, however you want them. Um, But here we go. Leviticus 16, starting in verse 4, excerpts from there forward. He shall put, and this is Aaron is the he, Aaron the priest, the high priest, Moses' brother, Aaron the high priest is the he. He shall put on the... (laughs) I really want to read this, in like a Monty Python English accent, this first verse. Can I do that? Is that okay? He shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarment on his body and he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. All right. Then he gets out the holy hand grenade of Antioch, and we all know what happens after that. Um, There's a reason for all this, but I just, just, when I was reading it last night, I was like, that is Monty Python all over it. All right, well, I'll go on. He shall bathe his body in water and then put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. And Aaron shall cast lots... Over the two goats, one lot for the Lord, and the other lot for Atzatzel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord, and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Atzatzel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may, may be sent away into the wilderness to Atzatzel. Just bookmark that. We'll come back to that. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins." And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. 
And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. And it shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month, the Sabbath month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you, for on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. So, hopefully the first thing you see is how important this day was in in the life of Israel in their year. This, you could argue, was the most important day of the year. Um, They are called by God to come together in a holy assembly to afflict themselves. That means just to be uh, in a state of repentance, to be like, blessed are those who mourn over their sin, if you will. Um, And to come together for this purpose, to give these two goats and the other required sacrifices that represent them before God. And you might be wondering, like, I thought that the temple was like for bulls and lambs. Why goats? Well, if, if you let a domesticated animal like a, like a sheep or a cow go in the wilderness, they're done for. They actually need your help. A goat can live the rest of its life without a shepherd, without any contact with humanity. There are still goats in Texas running around wild that got out of the pens when the Spanish missionaries were here. Like, they're literally still out there, right? Not so with cows or sheep. Uh, Wild sheep, they can go feral, but they don't live very long. Um, So, that's why. I know you were were wondering. You were just burning with curiosity, so I just had to tell you. Um, So, very significant day, very central to the life of God's people, and there are these, these other sacrifices that are quite usual. And then there's this very unusual sacrifice where it's, it's one act of atonement, but it involves two animals. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in a, in a while. But the first thing I want you to see is that God wants us, first and foremost, to understand the rhythm of redemption that there is this weekly coming together that we do, and there is this more annual remembrance and day where we afflict ourselves in terms of our recognition of our need for forgiveness. We actually think about how sinful we are, and I know that might be depressing to you, um, but God wants you to know that as you do that, his grace is more and more available to you. So in other words, the, the deeper I go into that rabbit hole of my own sin, the more abundant God's grace is for me. That's the way it works. And he wants us to be engaged in this rhythm of redemption. Let's go back to, just briefly, the, the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. It begins with God creating the world and saying, it is good. And as he does this, 
he creates mankind and says, it is very good. That's day six. Then he rests. Then in chapter three of the book of Genesis, we have the story of Adam and Eve falling into sin, committing sin, rebelling against God, their own pride, their own ignorance, their own actions, separate them from God. The end of chapter 3 results in them being placed east of Eden, outside the garden, right? And the, the entrance to the, to the tabernacle would have been to the east. God's people start outside the, the, what represents the garden. And for atonement, the priest has to go west into the center and sprinkle the blood. All right, we'll uh, try to keep going. Mankind, God created the world good, mankind sinned, and then sin we see in Scripture from Genesis 4 until the, almost the end of Revelation, you can see that sin yields what? Well, <laughs> calamity is the Bible word for it. The, the Jewish word is calamity, and that, that means discord, decay, disease, and ultimately death. Sin yields calamity. All of these aspects of what is bad in the world are the result of the fact that there is sin infecting creation. And we are the, we are the ones who, who sort of ushered it in. All right. That's the state into which the tabernacle is built. This, this walled, cloth-walled dwelling place that has an altar and a tent of meeting inside. It tells us, this tabernacle tells us, that God wants to restore the sinful people that he loves. Yes, we've sinned, we've messed up, we've, we've destroyed the harmonious order of God's universe, but that's not where he's going to leave us. He's going to work out a plan where our redemption, our restoration is secure. And all of what you see in this um, book of Leviticus, I'll try to, I'll try to summarize it. it goes, there's all kinds of crazy stuff in here that you just, if you re- try to read through the whole book, you're just like, what? This is bizarre. Why, why does he care about a fungus on my skin? Like, what does this mean? Well, all of these things that are delineated are results or symbols of that discord, that calamity that is the result of living in a fallen, broken, sinful world. And God says, to, to get right with me, there's a period of rest or waiting. Like, if, if you have this fungus on your skin, you need to go outside the camp and wait seven days. Then you wash yourself and then you bring in a sacrifice. So there's these three components to ritual cleansing, to getting right with God. There's a period of waiting or rest where you do nothing. There's a washing. And then there's a sacrifice. Okay? Is that pretty basic? That's the rhythm. That's the rhythm of redemption. You have these pauses every week where you stop and you rest and you wait. You have this spot in the year where you come before God and the priest is washed. Did you see that in the early part of the passage? The priest is washed and then he puts on these really basic clothes 
and he goes before God. Any other time the priest is getting dressed up, he's got a breastplate, he's got a turban, he's got all this cool stuff on. There's gold, there's rubies, there's just decorations, gold pomegranates flapping around like he's some kind of Jewish rapper in the ancient world, right? He just looks like a boss. But this day, he strips all that off, and he puts on some really simple white underwear and a white cloak and a white turban and a white belt, and he goes into the Holy of Holies with the blood of a bull. That's the first thing he goes. And that, he's, he's saying, God, forgive me. Make me holy so that I can go back and get this goat that represents the, the sins of God or that represents God's people and give its blood to you that I'm clean so that I can come and do that and make them clean. And so this rhythm of waiting, resting, bathing, or cleansing, washing, sorry, washing, and then a sacrifice. That is the rhythm of redemption. We need to also understand the specifics of atonement as they are laid out in this passage. So there is one goat whose innocent blood is shed for you. His loss of life gives you escape from death. It's his blood, and it says in the next chapter of Leviticus, in chapter 17, that the life is in the blood. The blood represents life. And so God takes this innocent, undeserving animal who doesn't deserve a death, and he kills it for you. It dies for you. And its blood is presented before God as if it's yours and saying, my people are clean. Cleanse them from their sin. And this goat represents the fact that God has ransomed you with the sinless life of this being. The word atonement in Hebrew means ransom, bought back. That's what it means. You've been bought back by the life of another, an innocent one. You've been bought back into right relationship with God. In English, it actually is pretty cool. At one meant. Hmm. That's a great word. All right, we're going to keep going. The one whose innocent blood is shed for you is the one who ransomed you with his sinless life. He purchased you back for God, and he restored you before God. The priest goes to the westernmost center point of the tabernacle, where the, where the Ark of the Covenant is. He, he opens the veil and he sprinkles the blood that represents you on the Holy of Holies, on the seat of God. And he says, basically, my people are forgiven, my people are clean, they've been ransomed, they've been redeemed. And this is the sign that you are restored. And then the priest kind of works his way back out, and then at the altar, those animals are burned, or the parts of them are burned, as a representation of the fact that God is, is taking your sins away, he's accepted you again, and there's this pleasant aroma that comes as the result of your redemption by the blood of another. And then there's the one whose blood is shed for you, and then there's the one, the, the other goat, who literally carries your sins away. 
this is the coolest uh, little bit in the whole thing. And he's often called the scapegoat. You've heard that term, I'm sure. He's not actually taking your sins upon himself. He's just, he's just carrying them out. So he goes out of that eastern gate into the, t- into the tabernacle and out into the wilderness, and your sins are carried with him. <laughs> and it says there's this, this man who's ready, that's you know, ready to take this goat. And I just, again, I've just got like a couple days later, he's somewhere around the Dead Sea. He's like, free goat? Free, anyone? Free goat? Free goat for you? Free goat, anyone? I mean, what, you know, he gets out there and he lets it go. And that goat is presumably able to survive and live a full life. It's not holding on to your sin. It just carried it out. And then there's this bizarre... Okay, in, in Leviticus chapter 16, the word atzatzel is mentioned four times. It's not mentioned anywhere prior to that and nowhere after that. This is the only place in your Bible where this name occurs. It's used four times. Here's my best guess. Now, let me just warn you. Anyone who tells you that they know absolutely what this word means, do not trust them. Okay? I am guessing. I am taking a best educated guess that this is a proper noun. I'll tell you why. Your your clues are in the text. So I'm going to jump back to verse, really verse 10. But the goat on which the lot fell for Atzatzel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Atzatzel. It's either a place or a person is my best guess. It's a proper noun. It, it doesn't have to be a proper noun. It could, it could be interpreted other ways. My best guess is it's a proper noun. And now you have, is it, a, is it a person or a place? My guess is that it is a person. Here's the literary reason for that. Atzatz in Hebrew means power. El is a word that's used for any god any spiritual being. So I think it means to a powerful spiritual being, the powerful spiritual being who appeared in Genesis chapter 3 and deceived Eve and tempted Adam to commit the first sin. I think it's the serpent. And I think what God is doing, and this is truly awesome if, it's, if I'm right, um, there's this goat who takes your sins on his back, on his head, literally, and is taken out, let out into the wilderness to Atzatzel, and he's let go. And God is saying, all these sins of my people, Satan, you mailed them to the wrong address. I am returning them to sender. These do not belong in my camp. These do not belong in the hearts of my people. I have dealt with them. I have forgiven my people, and my people are defined by my grace, not by sin. You can have it back. It's all yours. And this will be the fuel that burns beneath you for eternity, because you're evil. And you have, in this, 
entire Bible, the battle between good and evil. It makes perfect sense that God in this way, in this gesture, in this ritual, just says, take it back, bozo. Not my people. They're not hanging on to this stuff. And so you and I have this incredible capacity in Christ to not be defined by our past, by the sins we committed, or by the sins committed against us by others. This is not who we are. Our sins have been carried away, and we'll talk about this next, but have been carried away by the Messiah, never to come back. We're free. We get to live a full life without our sin. That second goat represents the resurrection, the life eternal, the the hope that we have that we don't have to die for our sins, that they've been carried away, given back to the one from which they came, to that powerful spirit who deceives, who destroys. Those are both among his names in Hebrew, the destroyer and the deceiver, among others. Um, And this all happens by sending your sins on that goat out to the east and then into the wilderness in any direction. That, that part doesn't matter. All right. If we have an understanding of the rhythm of redemption and an understanding of the meaning of the specifics of atonement, then we are left with one thing, and that is to accept the Messiah as our Savior. And I mean this not just in a one-time sense. I mean this every, every year, every week, every day, every minute, to come back to the grace of God as we find it in Jesus Christ, to return to that seat of God's presence on earth and see that we are forgiven. To accept the Messiah as our Savior, we must see that he fulfilled the scriptural requirements for making atonement, for being our source of redemption. I'm just going to skip through the Gospel of Luke. You can find this in any of the Gospels. Um, But he was washed in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. You probably remember that story. And John's like, what are you doing here? You need to baptize me. And Jesus effectively is saying, look, I don't need to be washed of my sins. I need to be washed because that's the first step in the process of redemption, that the priest goes and washes himself. It's ceremonial. It's part of this rhythm of redemption. And Jesus goes, submits himself in humility to be washed by a sinful human being when he had no sin. And he went into that river and was baptized by John the Baptist. Wow. He was washed in the Jordan. He laid down his innocent life. No sin did not deserve death. And he says, I am the lamb of God. I'm that first goat. And then he waited until the third day to rise again. He literally took your sins upon his back, descended into hell itself, 
and took off the backpack and dropped it at Satan's feet and said, yours, I'm done. I'm finished. My work here is done. My people are free. They are forgiven. They are loved. They are redeemed. And so Jesus fulfills these scriptural requirements and he washes us with his blood. He calls us to give him our sin, to afflict ourselves, as it's said in Leviticus 16, to really seriously think about who I really am, the, the darkness that looms within me, and to lay that at the foot of the cross and say, I don't know why you would die for someone like me, the things I've done, the things that have been done to me, I don't feel very worthy. But thank you that you went there for me. We are to give him our sin. He takes it, and he takes it to hell itself and offloads it at the feet of Satan. He says, eat that. It's not mine, and my people are free. We are to accept his blameless life. He didn't deserve to die. He never committed a sin. He was tempted. He knows what it means to be human, but he never committed a sin. He was the innocent, blameless one without blemish, and he gave his life that we could be forgiven, presented before God unblemished. You are called to come before God as the unblemished, forgiven, atoned for, redeemed soul that you are. God loves you. He forgives you. He went to the cross and did what he didn't have to do simply because he loves you. And I know it's cheesy. I know this is cheesy. It's like, anyway. But literally, if you were the only person on earth he would have done that for you. He knows your name. He knows your sin. He knows how distant your heart is from where it should be. And he says, I love you. And he spreads out his arms on the cross and he dies. And his innocent blood is sprinkled on that place where God lives on earth, which at the time was Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to conclude by reading a passage from the book of Hebrews. Uh, this guy gets it. This is in the New Testament after Christ has done his work on the cross, been in the grave, and on the third day he rose again. And on the day of Pentecost, or maybe the 49th day, I don't remember, he, he ascends to the right hand of God the Father Almighty. So the work of Christ on earth is done. And this author says these words, among others, but from the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, we have this. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. You see what he's doing? Like we can go into that holy of holies, into the very presence of God, 
because the blood of Jesus has been sprinkled there for our atonement. We are unblemished before God. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Tell me that guy doesn't get it. He sees, he sees the rhythm of, a, of redemption and he sees the work of Christ and he's like, this is it, brothers. This is it. This is the fulfillment of the ages, the one, the Messiah, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, before whom every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we are humbled before you. And we come before you in the affliction of our sin. And we thank you that you do not leave us there. That you have gone before us by the blood of the Lamb of God into the Holy of Holies and made atonement. You have sprinkled our hearts to be made right before God. You have died you have risen, you have ascended, that we might know that your love is stronger than death, that you have overcome evil and sin for us and in us. You have returned it to its source and sealed our eternity in your presence. We thank you that you did both. You provided the atonement and you took our sins away. You redefine who we are. Father, help us to live as children of Christ, as those who see the light of your love each and every day, who live according to your word and your will, and who are willing to go forth into this dark and hurting world and shine that light into the hearts of others, that all may know that Jesus Christ is the light of the world, the Lamb of God, the Messiah, the Savior of sinners, that our knees should bow before him and our tongues confess that he is Lord. It is in his name we pray. Amen.